0: It's so good to be here. So good to be here. I was here, I think, the first Sunday that you opened up here, and I've been. I've watched many of the services over the past uh, few weeks. Uh, honestly, not the entire service, but I've had parts of it because uh, we have our own morning service, and I have evening things. But you know what? I want to say that even today, being here, was so blessed. Rick, thanks for your opening prayer, calling to the Lord, giving specificity to what God's doing in our midst. Ruth, thank you for singing and leading us in worship, sweet spirit and, and sincerity and love from God and love for God. Thank you so much. Musicians who just stay with it and man lead us. I, I am always enriched by hearing and being a part of your church family and the, the, the thoughts, the heartfulness, the clarity of what's going on in you guys. Uh, you guys, I'm speaking like we're just friends. We are just friends, Right. And that's what's going on here, and I really appreciate that. And so it's a joy and privilege to bring God's Word today. And, uh, you know, as has been mentioned in the opening prayer and then even just a few moments ago, um, these are interesting days, great challenging days in our world and our climate and in our culture and in our personal lives. I know there's sicknesses, there's, there's tragedies, there's dilemmas, there's controversies in our culture and in our world and the church is different. The church has a place to be, uh, and we have a, a Lord who loves us, and He gathers with us, and he, he helps our hearts. And so today, I feel enriched already by just being a part of your service. I hope you are blessed already, and we're going to look at God's Word today and things. And I want you to know, we're in the book of Philippians again. We're looking through this book together this summer, and I appreciate the preachers that have come from TLCC and my friend Sam Morgan, who was here last week. He'll probably be here again in a few weeks as well. We just have joy of coming alongside to try to give your pastor a break and to kind of have some time away. Sometimes he's here, I understand. Sometimes he's, I've encouraged him to not come to church every Sunday. That sounds, that's not like a sin to just miss church once in a while. He's to seek the Lord and have some rest, have some physical rest. I don't know where he is today. We talk almost every week just to pray for each other, to care. And I know that he loves you and uh, he and Sonny and the family have times they need to just be away and try to resolve, you know, health issues and their own, and he's really um, on a wonderful journey with the Lord, and uh, um, you as a church family are as well, and I feel like we're kind of belong to each other to work to walk together this way, and the Scripture is going to share that with us here today, too, in Philippians chapter 2. So, Philippians, um, I'm going to be using the English Standard Version um, and uh, it's one I use all the time. It's a great translation. I believe heartily in the King James as well. I happen to use the ESV version. And uh, there's one verse that's in ch- chapter 1. I like to just read for us because to me it's, a, it's setting a tone for where we're at. Okay, It's a familiar verse probably if you've ever looked at the book of Philippians. But Philippians 1 verse 6, it says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And what a great promise to for all of us to live with, that there's a completion of our relationship with God that He's about. He is not going to give up. And no matter the thick and thin of our life, the thick and thin of our situations, our culture, what goes on in the world around us, but He is about our completion of our faith in, our, in Him. And so I want to just start with that to say, So this book of Philippians was written to the believers of Philippi 2,000 years ago, but you know what? It's written to TLCC today. It's written to you today. If you're watching, and you're not even a part of TLCC, it's written to you who's ever watching today. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a message here that we're going to see that I trust will give you life and encouragement and vision for your own life today. So Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to uh, start again today. There's two verses I'm going to start with to just read to you, and then we'll look at some more verses here, but last week, Pastor Sam led us through that very uh, significant passage in the first half of Philippians chapter 2. They call that the kenosis passage, the, the passage where Jesus, um, it talks about he left the glory of heaven to become a servant and to become a eventually to the point of death on a cross to obey his heavenly father. And in that passage, it talks about, is there any encouragement? Is there any strength? Is there any vitality for us and believers? And the answer is implied yes. And so we're going to look at this together here after we heard that last week about Jesus coming to incarnate and to become a servant and to die a death on a cross to redeem and save people Um, and for us to have a newness of life from him. We then get into verse 12 and 13 of Philippians 2. I'll read this here from the ESV. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure." Man, there's a lot, especially in that second verse there, about working out your salvation with fear and training. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But look what he says here now. He starts with the word therefore, and you've heard this before. If the word therefore is there, what is it therefore? Well, it's basing on what was just said in early parts of the book of Philippians and also Philippians 2, the first half of the book that Sam led last week, because of that, Because of what Jesus did, because of his encouragement he brings, his call to the church, and what he did by becoming a servant, even to the point of being his own death on a cross for his people. He said, as a result of that, it says here, my beloved, therefore, because of that, my beloved, (sighs) who loves you? He's talking to his beloved. Who's his beloved? His beloved is... Is the church. His beloved are the men and women who have surrendered their heart to God, who our lives, friends, are all a mess. We're born in sin. We're born into a world of sin. We're born into chaos in our world, and we cause chaos, and chaos happens to us. All of us have, you know, someone once said, we're all like a big hot mess. That's who we are. He calls us beloved. And this message is to you if you're his beloved. And who is his beloved in the scriptures? It's whoever Christ loves. And what Paul is saying, he loves them as well. He's loving the Philippians. And, of course, he's writing from prison himself. He can't be with his people. He loved his people. He was with them for a long time in Philippi. But now he is stuck in a prison, separated from them. He can't be about being with them face to face. He can't love them, hug them, teach them preached to them face-to-face. He is a distance from them, but he loves them. And why does he love them? Because God loves them. And there's something about being beloved by God and by shepherds and by someone else. It's a sense of deep affection. Friends, in the faith, whether it's in your church family or it's in maybe the church you grew up in or wherever you come from in your Christian experience, was there affection there with those people that loved you and walked with you and you them? You know, sometimes there's not in some faith communities. But in fact, it's a wonderful principle of the New Testament that when you're beloved of God, the church is beloved as well. And we love each other. There's a sense of affection and deep affection to be together. We're one in heart and now this is where Paul's going with this. He's, he's writing from prison. He just did this great challenge to the fact of who Jesus is and why he came and what he did when he came. He surrendered his rights of glory to come to this earth and to do be the servant and to be the eventual savior. And so there's a sense of the evidence of God's love to all of us by what Jesus did. But now we're called his beloved. He says, as you always have Obeyed. So now, not only it's in my presence, but much more in my absence. Okay, now, now we're going to get down to some realities of our life, friends. You know, many of us had spiritual growth when we were close to somebody who walked with us, encouraged us, taught us, spiritually fed us, nurtured us in our faith, stayed with it, came to us and comforted us when we were hurting or struggling. Or maybe even confront us when we were heading a wrong direction. That is love, when somebody confronts you in truth. But Paul was doing that with the people when he was with them. And he's saying, when I was with you, this is what you were always doing. You were growing in your faith. You were staying with it. were We're doing this together. And now he's saying, now my absence, I'm not there. And he's urging them, he's saying to them, Please, church family, believers, those who I love and and you're beloved, but not only as you did in my presence, but even much more in my absence. And much more in my absence. And what's he urged them to do? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But let me go back to this other idea here. I was personally trained closely as a young Christian by a youth pastor. And would I have grown in faith without that youth pastor? Possibly. But he was significant invested in my life. It was during about a five-year period I was around him. I learned so much of how to walk with God on my own. But I was with him. And then we parted ways. And he was gone. Now, Thankfully, other people arrived, or I found other people to help me grow in my faith, and I was a part of a church. But the one who had meant meant the most to me in my spiritual growth was no longer a part of my life. And I've only seen him three times in the last 30 years. But I look back to those days, and I realize that it was at that season of time, I wonder if he wasn't in my life, where would I have been? I don't know who you have had or who you have right now. But this is, I think, what Paul is driving at to the Philippians. He's saying, I was with you for years, and we were all growing. It was happening. And then Paul hauled off to prison on missionary journey. You know, you probably heard this in the first week of Philippians. And he's still writing to them. He says, what are you doing now? How's your heart now? And I want to ask you guys the same thing. Maybe you had memory of a godly parent in your life. Maybe you had influence by a godly grandparent in your life. Maybe you had a former pastor you grew up with. Maybe you had a Christian spouse or a Christian friend or someone that was that that urging, that one who walked with you and stood, helped you stand up and stand strong and make it through tough times or figure out who you're going to be or stand true to things that you really believed in your heart but the world was saying don't do this but it was somebody else who was there to kind of walk with you. And sometimes those people physically or even sometimes maybe other reasons, even through death possibly, they leave. My wife died a year and a half ago and... She would call me her spiritual encouragement. She was my spiritual encouragement. We had 42 years of beautiful marriage together in the Lord. And all of a sudden she's gone. Now, am I codependent on her and can't survive without her? No, by God's grace. But that's the question I want to have for all of us. Is, was there someone, or even now is there someone, who has been that primary person that God has used to have your faith be strong or strengthened or made right if it was wrong or you've been encouraged in faith when you didn't have faith before or you were in a terrible situation in your life and someone came along and walked with you and you're going like, there's hope and someone helped me become the person I am today. I have peace in my life. I have forgiveness. I have a sense of who I am even though I wasn't that way years ago. So Paul is raising a real important point here. He's saying when you're together, we're growing. And if I'm not there, he said, please keep growing. <laughs> and don't be so dependent. Paul is saying, don't be dependent on me, Paul is saying. Don't be dependent on St. Paul. Be dependent on someone else and grow someone else. We're going to look at that now. He said, and so my point here is it's not enough for us to live by nostalgia. The good old days of our spiritual life, if you had good old days, maybe you didn't have good old days, I don't know. Most of us have had good old days of our spiritual life, even if it was only last year. But nostalgic faith is not faith that will get you to the future. And I think this is where we have to be, like Paul is urging us right here for all of us, not just the Philippians, but to TLCC and for Doug Tegner and for whoever we are watching this on YouTube or wherever we are, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now... Do what? Work out your... I thought we don't have to work for our salvation. We don't, do we? But we get the grace from God to believe. He gives us faith. We turn our hearts to Him. We trust Him in faith. He does the work. But just because we have faith and we've followed Him and we're following Him now, we have day-to-day life we have to live. And this is where a sense of, can I say, cooperation with God is all about. He's the one who gives the growth. He's the one that strengthens us. He's the one that changes our life. But we have this sense of obedience, this sense of working out on the day-to-day. Because, you see, you had your faith experience to trust in God. Did you become mature all of a sudden? All put together, everything's resolved, everything's wonderful? Nobody has that. Certainly not the first day, the first month, the first year. It's a process. So we keep not working for salvation, but we're working out our salvation. We're learning to cooperate on a day-to-day basis with what God is doing today that may be different than what you were needing to learn a month ago. And so hopefully we learned something a month ago, or a year ago, or five years ago, but today, what's today and tomorrow going to be that we need to learn faith and trust and obedience today, because tomorrow's going to be different than it was last year, and isn't that true? Is your life the same? Is our culture the same every day, every week, every month, even every year? Oh my goodness. Friends, it's craziness out there. And yet, every generation, to them, it was craziness. It was hard. It was difficult. There was temptations and travails and dilemmas and cultural conflicts and things that were going on, just like it is in our day. And whether you're in the Bay Area or you're in another part of California or you're part of the United States or in another nation of our day, I mean, another nation of the world in our day. The dilemmas, the controversies, the temptation, the challenges, the diseases, the struggles are almost new every morning. But you know, what does lamentation say? God's faithfulness is new every morning. And so there's a faithful God every morning, even though there's a, a challenge we have every day that's different. And so here, the challenge that Paul is giving to these people, his beloved people, is, hey, when we're together, you are walking this way. Thank you, he was saying to them. He's, he's commending them for their walk in faith and trust and surrender together. But when they um, found he was gone, they had a, a season of, he was saying, even in my absence, it's up to you to walk in faith. And so continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that has the idea of continuous, sustained dependence on God, even without Paul who's in prison. Now, right now, your pastor isn't in prison, but he's not here with you most Sundays. And I know for many of you, your pastor... My good friend, I love and respect Jamie Hawkins deeply. I learned so much from him in the 10 or so years I've known him. I know many of you have known him even longer than that. But if he's physically not here, we need to grow in our walk with God initiative to take the ground he wants us to take individually, personally, and even as a church. Because this is no surprise in God's greater scheme of things that your pastor's not physically in the pulpit today. Lord willing, he'll be back in a few weeks. But I'm just saying that it's a similar thing to Paul. That church so loved Paul, so loved how he taught, how he worked with them, how he challenged them, how he encouraged them, how he gave them hope, a sense of how to live life and encouragement. But now he was gone. He's in a prison cell, Paul was. And so it's this point here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying to the church of that day. Why? Because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Man, this is, I think, a huge thing for us to grasp today, no matter our situation. That's why every, this this passage can be for anybody in the world today who's a Christian. Work out your salvation because God wants to do his work for his good pleasure. So I have found, and we already talked about it, but believers are not saved and made mature in one fell stroke, right? It's a process. And all of us have ups and downs and different degrees of that. I hear someone say, two steps forward, one step backward. Sometimes it's one step forward, four steps backward. And we kind of come back and step forward again. You know? But we have to step. We have to go somewhere. And where's our heartbeat? Where are we going? What are we thinking about? What are we depending on? It can't be on a person, just like it could not be on Paul. It's on the God of Paul. It's the God of the Bible. It's the God who sent Jesus. It's Jesus who's our Lord, our, our chief shepherd. And so, It's one thing to have a plaque in your house that says Christ is the head of this house. It's a whole other thing to the next day, live that out in every day-to-day situation, right? And we just point to the plaque and say, see, that's what I believe. Is it really? Christ is the head of this house? Or whatever plaque or motto or bumper sticker we have. You know, bumper stickers and mottos come and go. But the question is, what's true in our own mind and our own heart? Where are we at? What are we personally, independently committed to, no matter what else happens in our world around us? And this is a test. And so this this was a challenge for the church of Philippi. It was a test for them because he was gone. And remember what it said in John 15, that beautiful chapter about the vine and the branches? The Scripture says, The branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. And Jesus says, Abide in me, he says. Similar to us, friends, that today, work out your salvation, your salvation, work it out with what? Fear, that means humility and reverence and trembling, not so much anxiousness, but a sense of, I'm serious about this. I'm going to, I need to be plugged into this vine, the Lord Jesus. And he is going to be the one to give me the strength and wisdom and grace I need for tomorrow. He may use other people. He may use people you listen to or people you have as preachers or teachers or books you read. But in fact, it's Jesus himself who's the one who gives us this life, this strength. And so I want from Paul speaking to me and speaking to you, friends, you're beloved by God and by your pastor, and by your leaders of your church, you're beloved, you matter. And the Lord wants you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling on a day-to-day basis, even if your pastor's not physically with you for this short season of his time. So let's go on to the next section here of this passage. Verses 14 through 18. Let me read this in chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling... Or questioning that you... Somebody's speaking thought I hear you, okay? We relate to that, right? Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, Paul says, I may be proud That I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Many of you have read much of the Bible. Where have you heard that phrase, grumbling and murmuring, before? What's that? In the wilderness. When they were walking through the wilderness, the people of God, Israel, the Hebrew people, after a little while, they were tired of the manna, how God had provided for them. In fact, manna's name was, what is this? They didn't know what it was. They just, what is it? And it came every day, but you couldn't store it up. You had to, every day, you had what you needed for today. And they had to go through, it was 40 years they walked through that wilderness. Dry, sticky wilderness, all the stuff they went through here. And many times along the way, they started groaning and murmuring. Because, and you know what they wanted to do? Go back. They going to go back to Egypt. Egypt meant to them bondage. It was slavery to the Egyptian leadership, the pharaohs. It was a whole way of oppressive life. It was a whole different way to think. It was like they didn't have freedom to go with the God of Yahweh that they truly wanted to believe. And I followed, they were in bondage to all this other stuff that were being beat up, so to speak. They were in turmoil. And they wanted to go back to Egypt because they were grumbling and murmuring about where they were right now. So Paul is telling the Philippian church, he says, Church, hey, you've walked in faith, Philippian church, go for it. Stay with it. Even in my absence, live that way. But what? do not. do all, Do not go back and grumble or have questioning. And so There's different definitions of this word. It means mutterings. Do you ever mutter under your breath? Oh my goodness. True confessions. I'm not going to, I don't know you guys, but I, I, I call it soul talk. Do you have soul talk under your breath where nobody, you're not saying it out loud to the world, but in your head, you are whispering things. And it's almost like you forget that God hears it, God knows what you're thinking, but you still go along and just kind of, murmur, grumble, grind it out, you know, disappointments. You know, this word means disputings, argumentations. My favorite is discontented undertones. I, I'm just telling you the truth. I have regular discontented undertones in my soul. I've loved the Lord. I've known the Lord for a whole, I've loved the Lord for four decades or longer, five decades. And I don't do this all the time. But there's days, even this week, friends, when I've grumbled and murmured under my spirit or in my spirit. And I'm probably telling you things I shouldn't tell you because you're going to think less of me. But the fact is, it's the truth. Because this is what, Paul is challenging the believers. He says, Do not grumble or murmur under your spirit or even out loud. And you know, have you noticed how when somebody grumbles out loud, how all of a sudden there's an audience? How it, now there's a whole bunch of people that start, Oh, yeah, I'll pick up that offense for me too. You know, I mean, I do a lot of marital counseling, I've done family counseling, and I've done a lot of other kind of stuff. And one of the things I've noticed is that if somebody starts complaining, are grumbling within their family. Not everybody necessarily, but everybody else is now. Hey, they all see a problem with that same thing. They didn't see it two days ago, but now they're hearing about it. It's like, yeah, that's not. What's going on with that? Where'd that come from? Yeah, and that bothers me too. That really, that should bother me. And it, you know, it's amazing how grumbling, murmurings, and these disputings and argue and undertones can create a climate. And here's what Paul is saying to to the Philippian church. He's actually commended them. The book is pretty much a book of encouragement. And he just has these reminders so they don't get drawn under. They don't get caught in the undertow. They don't get caught in kind of like the riptide that kind of is going against the waves. And they're kind of like stuck in this thing now. And it's like, wow, what happened to us here? Do all things without grumbling or questioning Why, he says, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish as a child of God. And now get this. Live that way in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Is our generation twisted and crooked? Not just the generation outside the walls of a church building, but our generation, people. And you know what is true? Excuse me. You know what's true is that this has been the way it is in every generation. There's no perfect generation. There's no loving, always peaceable, always encouraging generation. It's a generation Our people, of our day, my generation, I don't care what age you are here. I'm an old guy, man. I'm a senior now. I hit 65 last year. I know I'm old, gray, blah, blah, blah. I get all that stuff. But you know what? Thank you, sir, very much. Thank you. Um, But in all generations, because I heard this when I was 15 years old, my generation at Hayward High School, when I grew up right here in the Bay Area, there was grumbling and murmurings and groanings about the way things were. There was a mess in our culture here in the East Bay and Hayward and Castro Valley and Oakland and San Lorenzo and San Leandro back in the 70s. We were a mess. I was a mess. My generation was a mess. But, you know, my dad and mom's generation was a mess. I heard things they went through. I heard things that they said themselves. I was like, you said that, Dad? you got to be kidding me, man. I would never have said that. But, well, maybe I did but every generation's a mess. Every generation is twisted and crooked. We're messy people. And so here's Paul saying is he goes don't live by what the culture around you is living. Don't live amongst them and within them because you're living in he said you're living amongst them. We're stuck in this generation. It's not like we're going to go hide off on some mountain somewhere. We we live with people that are real people. Messy people, hot mess people, okay? And this culture is a hot mess. And so we have neighbors and friends and maybe family members. You go, oh, I would never do or say or even think that way. But, you know, they're yours. They're mine. They're like me. I'm like them in some ways. And so this whole thing is a crooked and twisted generation. We're living in a midst of it. He says, so be different, though. Be like children of God that are innocent and blameless. In other words, set yourself apart don't be caught up like them. Don't be just like them. And I think this is so true for us today that we don't live this way. You see, all of us, okay, this is going to be hard to hear, but I'm preaching to choir. I'll look in the mirror, I'll preach to my own face here as well. All of us here have the seeds of these perversities in our own heart. We all could live this way. Twisted, murmuring, um, grumbling, evil is one of the translations, twisted, evil, generation, crooked. I'm not trying to blame you. I'm not trying to say you're, you know, I'm not pointing a finger saying you're this and I'm not. I'm just saying we are. (laughs) We are. We have this in us. And we live amongst this generation. And Paul is saying to the Philippians back 2,000 years ago, he said, hey, beloved church, beloved church, when you were with me, he says, you listened, we walked together, we were growing. Now in my absence, you, friends, beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Live your life day to day, not just on Sundays or when you're gathered as a church, but every day as you go through your day, live with this sense of being a Called out child of light, a children of God, a different kind of person than what the culture is saying around you. If the culture says this, it's likely God says this, likely. It's very seldom is the culture saying what God says. So you can almost think you're going to be living as a rebellious person all your life, rebellious to the culture. And, you know, we shouldn't have rebellious hearts, not to God, but, you know, we have to live different to the culture around us. And we don't have to point long fingers at people and try to be preaching down at people. That's not the goal. The point is live a different kind of life and live your conscience before God and serve your God, be united with your God and honor His Word because He's called you out, He loves you, He loves you and He set us apart to be a different kind of people. And so this concept of uh, just being fresh, to be new, to live a newness of life. And so tomorrow, because it's not Sunday, where's your heart going to be tomorrow? How are you going to start your day? What are you going to do during the middle of the day? Praying. There you go. How are you going to end your day? Praying. You know? um, One of the old guys, C.H. Spurgeon, had a phrase, he said something like, uh, he said when he tries to go to sleep at night, he'd often say, Soul, where have you been today? Before you go to bed. You know, we hear this concept, don't go to bed angry. Now, you need to check your heart, but I think that principle is, before you go to bed, you may, maybe you didn't live, and I didn't live, maybe consistently all day long, making great choices, wise choices, worshipful choices, praise choices, whatever, loving choices, whatever. <clears throat> Maybe we made bad choices, but at the end of the day, soul, where are you today? Do you have a clear conscience with God and to make it right, to clean that up today with God tonight? And, you know, the God of grace washes us clean. There's a freedom, there's a joy, there's a forgiveness. Even if our mind or our soul talk or our actions or attitudes, if any of that was not right, we have a chance to make it right with God. Excuse me. So I think this is a beautiful reminder to us here to not let the sun go down if our hearts unclean. Will God punish us when we do this wrong? You now, there's sometimes discipline that happens in our life depending on how we live, but in fact... There's grace. There's forgiveness. There's a fresh start. There's a freedom. There's a peace with God and really a peace with others by God's wonderful, amazing grace. And it's not about us working for the grace or doing the right things. It's like he did the stuff. It's all him. And we just acknowledge it. We humble ourselves. We surrender to him. Ah, Lord, have this stuff this mindset, this murmuring, this grumbling, this twisted or crooked way I've thought or what I did. Or it's yours. Start over. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, he says here, Paul says, he wants us to do this. So holding fast to the word of life, this is the word of life right here. Hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, he says, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So Paul's saying, live this life, because in the day of Christ, and what's that, the day of Christ? That's the day he's going to return someday. And there's that sense of judgment at that time. So the the day of Christ is a special term in the Bible. Sometimes it's called the day of the Lord. That's a little bit different, but same kind of idea. The day of Christ, when he comes back for his people, and we, we kind of all give an account, Paul is saying, There's a sense of, I don't want to think that I've run in vain on all these years he spent time with the Philippians and labor in vain. So the investment that the spiritual leaders in your life have given to you or that you're giving to others right now, I trust that those people you're discipling and caring about are not going to run in vain. When you plant seeds of hope or life for them, pray for them. They let those seeds of truth live out And for your own self, if someone's walked with you, live that out from the word of life. You may not even see them anymore. Maybe they've died. Maybe they've moved away. Maybe you can't talk to them for whatever reason. Is there a truth that someone invested in you? Live it out. Obey it. Even if they're not still giving it to you. Because there's a sense of that's what we do is we run this race. Then there's a day coming when our day is over. And the day coming, when all of our, we're all terminal people, right? Do we really believe that? I mean, that's the way it is. But the day coming, when Jesus will return, and he'll give an, all of us will give an account, but he'll call us to himself. And what have we done of what we've learned? What have we done with what we know? And so here's the beautiful promise of the day of Christ, that final day of his return. And then he closes this section here that um, Verse 17, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And he's ready to lose his life. He's going to be poured out. He's going to be uh, prisoned, eventually killed, for his faith, for, his, for being who he was. He says, I'm, a, I'm going to lose my life. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so I think that's kind of the culmination, this beautiful sense of the beloved. He says, we're in this together. And his urging is for them to live a life that is working out their own salvation, even if he's not there with them. And that's really my appeal to all of you. I look in the mirror for myself as well. My friend who discipled me for five years, Don Larmer, my youth pastor, I don't see him. But he trained me how to walk with God for about five years, and now I don't see him. Am I walking that out? Am I continuing I, By God's grace, I'm trusting I am. I hope you are too. So I don't know who that person was. It could be, like I said, a parent. It could be a pastor of days gone by. It could be your current pastor, Pastor Jamie. It could be Sonny. It could be any number of people. I don't know who they are, but if they brought to you the word of life, the counsel from God's word, maybe it's personal as a counselor, or maybe it's public as a preacher, teacher, or whatever it is, that is the the challenge for all of us. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and living in a perverse, wicked generation, crooked generation, not falling to the the wiles of the enemy of our soul who's just teasing us and pulling us back into stuff and ways to think and then grumbling and murmuring and having undertow of what's wrong in our spiritual life or my church or our culture or Jesus or the religion or Christianity is a fraud or all these things, these messages that are coming at us from all sorts of ways. And let the Lord Jesus Christ, who's your Lord, your chief shepherd, who's called you to be his flock, to walk with him and have strength and courage and peace and not let a day go by, a night go by, that you don't stop and check in on that soul. Soul, where are you today, All right? Please pray for us right now before we close